0: Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a video and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience and wisdom from hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Today, it is my pleasure to welcome a very, very successful entrepreneur who's focused on bringing global technologies to Asia. Bobby Bhatia, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ashtosh. Great to be on thank you bobby is the founder and board member of track invest he's a mentor advisor to blockchain protocols advisor to vc funds and accelerators he has spent time with aig financial products and jp morgan so bobby tell me a little bit about what would you say are three key milestones in your life or your career
1: that's an interesting interesting question well there's there's a few milestones and i think you know we continue to make more and more milestones right but i think the first was living in India for the first eight years. Mm-hmm. My father used to work in a bank so you know the first big milestone was having lived for a short time in India but across six different cities mm-hmm. and you know starting from Delhi ending up with all the way down to Ghazipur right so having survived that was I think our first milestone and okay you know after that we grew up in Kuwait we actually went through a war uh-huh. um, and I think you know despite that being able to get to the us to study in the united states mm-hmm. at some good universities i think really helped establish from a professional standpoint so it was you know a, a challenging time for all of us so i think really making sure that in a difficult time being able to get to a first goal which is called education mm-hmm. and the education that you think at that time uh, would be the most would be was one of the main things okay. i think past the education i think the second big goal is that you know, I started my career trading options in Chicago, then I moved to Hong Kong and uh, got into private equity mm-hmm. and about 10 years ago, you know, started looking at technology and blockchain and I think I would say the, the next big uh, milestone is the ability to, to continue to learn mm-hmm. and just because you're in one industry, you don't need to be restricted to that industry and you're never too old to actually adapt uh, and learn um, new skill sets. And, you know, generally, you know, I'm not that old, I'm only 47, but when people see the white beard, they say, oh, technology, that's actually a young boy's game. But, you know, you'll be surprised, you know, 10 years ago uh, is when we got involved in blockchain, you know, 10 years ago is when we got involved in technology. And, and a lot of these processes and, and platforms are actually starting to take off. And mm-hmm. basically, I've spent the last 10 years uh, doing
0: that. So, you know, I would say learning different things, diverse. and Fantastic. So before I come into talk, you know, talk to a few a little bit about track invest, you had may you mentioned that you bring global technologies to Asia. Yeah. Talk to me about what exactly you are doing, and if possible, give me some examples. Sure. Um, so Ashlosh, one of the things is
1: that you know we've been part of the whole ecosystem, right? So whether we were sitting on the boards of Korean accelerator called Spark Labs or you know, you had Ant Hill Ventures and Ant Hill Accelerator coming from Hyderabad, coming to Singapore, working with the Singapore government enterprise Singapore to really create the ecosystem. So what we actually saw was, you know, I would put it into three waves in the last 10 years. So the first wave was, obviously, you know, in the US, uh, e-commerce had taken off, right? right. And the, the, So you know, as opposed to the late 90s, now you had, you know, B2C business or b 2 b to c businesses that were taking off. because. All of a sudden, people started trusting their credit card on the internet. Mm -hmm. So you had the first wave that was that. The second wave that came into Singapore was obviously the fintech wave. And obviously, uh, you know, now we're starting to see the third wave of of investing. And in each process, people have been evolving. But Mm -hmm. one of the issues that I identified in Asia was that, you know, while you had funding a bit available for the accelerator really early stage
0: mm-hmm.
1: or, or Series D or Series E, very mature businesses, but the mature businesses were far and few in between, right? So obviously India's had a lot more uh, deeper successes, but you know when you have a country of 5 million people and we're still evolving, right? And Malaysia is evolving and uh, Thailand is evolving. And I think during this COVID time, a uh, few things happen, right? So water security, food security, infections, tech, remote health monitoring and you know one of the things that I saw was a real opportunity to look at you know technologies that I'd seen in the U.S. technologies I'd seen in Israel in the Nordics and you know these companies were companies that had you know perhaps five to ten million dollars of revenue they were at the inflection point but just didn't have any access to be in Asia Mm. and unlike you know, working in EU or, you know, going from North Carolina, to South Carolina is very different than going from Singapore to Malaysia. right? So each market is different. Yeah. So as we started reaching out to, you know, healthcare products, you know, that would actually assist in age living or remote monitoring in Israel, mm-hmm. we saw a tremendous uh, focus uh, for us. In Singapore, you know, we had come out with a policy that by 2030, that 30% of our own food should be grown here. Mm-hmm. So what you're seeing from the government is really a big push. So obviously, in alternative protein, you're looking at vertical farming, and basically all the inputs that go into it. Okay. We we're talking to a company called Violet Defense that uses a traditional UV pulse technology to clean surfaces from an infectious tech. Actually, the New York subway is using it. Okay. So the idea was to bring or look at those technologies and see the application. Here.
0: Hmm. Very interesting. But tell me, you know, as you just mentioned, North Carolina, South Carolina is maybe reasonably homogenous, but Singapore, Malaysia is not. When you look at bringing technology from the Western world into Asia, what goes into being able to accept and adapt that technology across multiple countries and across multiple cultures?
1: Yeah, absolutely right. Um, that's 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 the question that we deal with. I think I think first of all, the approach that we take and the approach I've taken in technology investing mm-hmm. um, as we've evolved and having made mistakes in the past, okay. um, but the approach was always around POCs, right? So proof of concept. So if I can do a proof of concept and that proof of concept is successful mm-hmm. and we can convert that proof of concept into a customer that's a business that I would like to invest in right so I mean I can do all the technical due diligence in the world, I can do market due diligence, I could potentially run A-B testing kind of uh, uh, focus groups to look at the product market fit Mm -hmm. but ultimately I think what we do is it's really focus on the POC basis. I think as it become a little bit more difficult to move into say if I was using Singapore as a hub Mm -hmm. and if it was a healthcare product I would probably look at my relationships in Thailand, they're the largest healthcare distributors. Mm-hmm. So I think distribution networks uh, have become very, very important, and being able to work and partner with them is also very important. In certain
0: markets, we have our own direct access, in mm-hmm. certain markets, we'll just have to look through partnerships. Very interesting. So, Bobby, you know, you mentioned that you've spent almost 10 years in blockchain. Now, my first question to you, and you know your, your, your conversation with me will be heard and listened and viewed by thousands of people. Can you simple words for our listeners and viewers, tell me what is blockchain? Okay,
1: this is obviously an interesting one, it comes up quite a bit. Yeah. So guys, um, so let's, let's be very clear, uh, blockchain is a technology, think of it as a database technology, of course, everybody is now talking about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. Okay. It just so happens that cryptocurrency is based on a certain technology. Mm-hmm. right? So I can have, an, for example, I can have a, um, a, a wallet application or I have a different application. It's based on a certain database. It mm-hmm. operates on a certain database. Mm-hmm. So think of blockchain as a distributed ledger technology mm-hmm. that allows two people who do not know each other Without any central authority mm-hmm. to safely transact between themselves.
0: Okay,
1: right. So what that means is that if I should, if I had to uh, pay you money, I would have to go to a bank that would go to a SWIFT account mm-hmm. that would then get to your bank in India. Then it would have an, an identity attached to your bank account, and then you know KYC and documents and everything will happen, and then the transaction will actually complete. Correct. Um, whereas now. Uh, You know, with certain technologies and distributed ledgers, you basically think of it having multiple Excel sheets Mm -hmm. all over that network that basically keep an account of what you provide and what I receive and what I receive and you provide. Mm -hmm. And the idea being is, you know, uh, being able to give a much more transparent, um, something that's uh, not mutable Mm -hmm. record of transactions and just bringing transparency into a financial system, which at times sits opaque. So there's a philosophical aspect of it, there's a technical aspect of it. I'm just giving a simple layman's aspect. Think of it as a a distributed
0: ledger, a distributed database basis. But therefore my follow on question to that is that whenever I read articles on the blockchain, I'm always told that it is a very, very secure means of handling transactions because nobody can fudge if I can use the word. Help me understand this. Well, um,
1: think of it. Think of it in a, in a very simplistic terms, right? So, mm-hmm. say you bank at Citibank, bank. and I somehow get a hold of your password mm-hmm. and your things, and I get a hold of your token because you left your bag at Starbucks, and somehow I. So when I'm Trying to attack a bank or I'm trying to attack um, uh, your account, for example, uh, there's a single point of attack, right? There's a single wall, call it, that sits around Citibank, right? So for me to actually then go and, and look at transactions or do something, you know, as long as I can get through that firewall, I'm in the system and I can then, you know, act as, 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 a, as a bad actor. Right? Whereas when you have a distributed ledger, and of course, there's exceptions to us because you know you have more than 51% of the whole chain uh, and that, that's how fork starts. So the technology is evolving, but basically the point was that for a bad actor, it becomes very difficult on a distributed ledger mm-hmm. to be able to break in everywhere Correct. and change all the transactions. Mm-hmm. Right? So from that perspective, the security is there and the security is growing mm-hmm. and the transaction speed is growing. Uh, but I think I think a lot of people who are interested in are also, you know, looking at it from a from a, a philosophy standpoint. And I think mm-hmm. the philosophy sits where is my data is my data. Mm-hmm. So up till now, you know, let's say we push out twenty years and it becomes more and more difficult for people to make mm-hmm. jobs. Mm-hmm. And today people are making money on Instagram and YouTube videos, and you know, you're only getting paid. 6% of what YouTube is earning off your video from an ad perspective, right? Mm-hmm. And I think tomorrow, if you were to look at a, 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 a social media kind of platform like Facebook or Facebook 2.0, and you say, hey, well, it's my data, right? Or it's my healthcare data, or it's my uh, advertising data, and you're running an advertising model on it, mm-hmm. but now all of a sudden I should get compensated also for it, right? So I think fundamentally, the shift is coming where data ownership and I think Europe, it's, it's a little bit further ahead than the rest of the world and I think we'll, we'll all get there but it all comes down to data. right? Okay. Your telecom company has your data, your, your medical company has your data, your data sits in silos at potentially Fortis Hospital to mm-hmm. um, uh, the clinic down the
0: road to the dentist but sure. there's no consolidated place where your data sits. Wonderful, so let me ask you a few more questions now related to a little more generic what are the core values that you, Bobby, believe in? Whenever you, you know, build new businesses.
1: So I think I think these values and and, and these learnings have obviously changed over time. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the key values uh, was that you know when we were in the banking world, uh, mm-hmm. just to go back and AIG and track. Um, at um, AIG as well as JP Morgan. What we used to tend to do and which is a mistake was it was a very homogenous group Mm -hmm. of people who would hang out, right? So, you know, you were a banker, you're an equity sales guy, you're a capital markets guy, you're a trader, but the bankers tended to hang out with bankers. And then, you know, if we expanded that was basically service providers to bankers, like accountants and lawyers, but again, a very, very homogenous group, right? So I think, when you're starting to build a startup and you're starting to build an operation mm-hmm. i think having the diversity of the kind of people you hang out with and a diversity of opinion mm-hmm. is very very important okay. right um, so diversity of opinion and people who come from different sides different perspectives mm-hmm. who can bring in perspectives that are not consistent with your perspective mm-hmm. um, is very very important because you know you just don't know what's what actually works or what hits, um, you know, I, I can come with a certain perspective, and I'll talk about some of the mistakes that I've kind of learned from, uh, but you, you just don't know. So I think that's number one. I think the ability to have uh, frank and open conversations and basically leaving the ego at the door mm-hmm. is very important. And um, yeah, so I think you know, like typically speaking, you know, when they talk about having a co-founder, for example, mm-hmm. one person should be a technology person, one person should be a business person, and you know, the multiple rule sets um, around that Uh, of course I think uh, the last thing I think would be test 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 Mm -hmm. okay so I know it's exciting to run into a business I know capital is available but I think it is so important to spend the extra money and the extra time to test because if you get that formula right Mm -hmm. the business opportunity is not going anywhere and and don't worry about you know people copying you. That's great. People are copying you. Mm-hmm. It's making that whole segment bigger. Confidentiality, yes, great, important. But guess what? <laughs> you know, I think any idea you've had, just 10 people who are all you know who are already executing it, and 100 people who already thought of it. Right. So
0: yeah, I think I think just basically having oh, conversations. Perfect. So you know, I want to talk to you a little bit about Track Invest, you know, a company that you have founded and. Uh, You know, you mentioned that it's now being run in India in ed tech and skills tech. Talk to me a little bit about what kind of work Track Invest is doing. Sure.
1: So, when we started off, Track Invest started off as a a virtual trading platform, right? So, we wanted to trade, teach kids basically trading in a riskless environment. Mm -hmm. As we had to go monetize, we realized B2C is a very, very expensive proposition yeah. and you know, B2B could be better, but you know, B2B can take you know, longer sales cycles, right? So in accordance to that, what we'd started doing was we started offering micro-certifications. Okay. But what we believed was micro-certifications should all be job-linked. Hmm. To give you an idea, so you know you have the Unacademy, the Baijus, the Simply Learns, and everybody's now offering content around say cybersecurity or data science or AI ML, or, you know, and these are anywhere from three to six month programs. They charge anywhere from, I don't know, 30,000 rupees to two lakh rupees. Right. Mm -hmm. So what we started was basically programs that cost around 10 to 25,000 rupees in Mm -hmm. technology, as well as finance. And basically insured your job. So last year, for example, Mm -hmm. we trained about 4,000 people and about 1800 people got placed. our
0: platform
1: Mm. so we're just kind of continuing expanding on that going towards a higher uh, segment uh, training in blockchain training in full stack developers Mm. and most of the placements that we've started doing um, were actually overseas Um, one of the things that we realized was that during this COVID times people were more comfortable you know hiring people there Um, during this time obviously in India our business got hurt a little bit even Mm. though You know, you're seeing a huge deluge of money coming into the ed tech sector, Mm -hmm. but the the ground reality was when you have a university network of 200 universities from a distribution standpoint, Mm -hmm. the universities are not getting enough students signing up, they're delaying their opening, Mm -hmm. right? So there have been delays uh, there, but I think all of a sudden learning and deployment has just gone global. So we've just been accelerated, and I think people who are motivated to learn mm-hmm. uh, can always come to our platform, and uh, you know we can help them find job opportunities anywhere in the world.
0: Wonderful. So Bobby, I'm now going to move to the next segment of our conversation, which are some questions for you personally. My first question is that you know you've been a banker, you're an entrepreneur, you're a mentor, you're an advisor, you're building new businesses. What does success mean to Bobby? Success has meant different things at different times, okay. frankly, right? So, <laughs> so you know,
1: um, I guess when, um, you know, we moved out of Kuwait into the US mm-hmm. and the idea was I had to figure out how to pay for college and we had to make sure, you know, I got a job. So success was very simple. It was the first byproduct that people look at, right? Okay. Basically making money, getting a good job, um, becoming financially secure and independent success at that point uh, initially meant that and that was a area of focus I know it's considered taboo to talk about money but that's that's the unfortunate reality right so that that was one um, I think success over the years have for me has meant the relationships that I've made um, the people I've met the people I've been able to work with I think the success and the kind of people you know that have been your support group uh, over the years and uh, both mentors and colleagues right and I think where success is now evolving to, you know, as we kind of get a little bit older and, and, and when we look at it, it's basically around the impact that we can actually make. Right. Mm. So for me, uh, you know, as opposed to bringing up anything else, what I brought up was, you know, we trained 4,000 kids last year, mm. right. We, we got 1,800 kids job uh, mm. last year. Right. Uh, we're moving into a new segment mm. and, you know, we're offering kids, you know, who are coming out of college or pretty junior resources, but, you know, 12 lakh packages working in technology when you know, the rest of them are getting say four or five lakhs, right? So the ability to kind of take your learnings and uh, do good. I mean, you can make money at the same time, but also you can do good at the same time. So I think I think I think a balanced approach where you're actually making an impact, and obviously if you're doing the right thing and if it's a commercial organization, you are earning. That's how
0: I define success. Terrific. And my next question. I think I have time for two more questions for you. My next question is a question on failure. You know, most of us fail all the time, and we keep learning from them. My question to you is: What has been your biggest learning from your biggest mistake or failure? So, on 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 the side of failure, I think we've looked
1: at multiple failures, we've had failures at uh, the management level Mm -hmm. uh, for some of the startups that we've had, Mm -hmm. Um, we've had failures on things not scaling as quickly, uh, had failures around not testing enough. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the key failures was that, you know, coming from the US and coming from a much more Western economy, Mm -hmm. uh, taking that mindset as to what I think would work in that market Mm -hmm. and not doing the full product market fit. Mm Uh, for the Asian market, mm-hmm. and just the product being way too early uh, for that, right so that 's been one. The second thing which I was a failure, but I think what we 've done is we 've addressed it quite significantly is that you know when you used to talk about personality tests, used to talk about personality assessments, hogan assessments, etc. So you know I used to look at it I'm like hey, yeah yeah, that's fine it 's okay. you know let 's just get on with the work. everybody's a big boy here everybody's a professional. But, you know, I don't, don't um, underscore the importance of such things and the insights that you get from it, right? So one of the things was that, you know, where, you know, you can, you can be intuitive and you can still assess people. But, you know, I think a much more formal assessment and the ability for people to fit in as you're building up organizations and being cognizant and cognitive of that, I think is very, very important. So, you know, now when we actually look at our organizations... You know, I have somebody who's professional on the HR side, on this leadership development side. Um, so we actually uh, tend to spend time, you know, which is probably something that I had not valued as much because whatever said and done, uh, these kind of issues ultimately in startups come up mm-hmm. and sometimes they act as the
0: demise. Of- and my last question to you, you, know, you did talk about the pandemic a couple of times in our conversation and you also mentioned you're not being able to come to India because of your business here. My question to you is that what how are you rethinking your life in a new world order?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I think I think listen, uh, my life for the last year was, you know, traveling to India for 2 weeks, being in Singapore for the other 2 weeks, summer vacation, Christmas vacation. So, I think life has changed significantly and I think we've had to readjust. So, I think travel for the next 12 months is mm, kind of out of the cards Mm -hmm. uh, because you know we have people in the family who are probably immunocompromised Um, I think work is taking a different function so luckily we're in Singapore so I do expect in the next two to three months corridors to open up but you know like I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation right Mm. you have companies that are fantastic companies that are in the U.S. or it's part of your network who now because of this pandemic are not able to come here Mm. That gives everybody an opportunity to look at bringing in those technologies here. So, you know, if you're in the private equity business, you're in whatever business you are, um, I think there are areas of collaboration that you can do. I think, obviously, I've gotten much healthier. Social life has gone down. Uh, exercise has become a much more thing. So I think I think different, for different folks, it's been different. But, you know, we live in a small island called Singapore. Uh, we're still allowed to interact. Uh, with people. Uh, but having said that, I think with what's happening in the vaccine, I think people will find uh, their own equilibrium and it's different for uh, different people. right? So I think, I think we'll all find our own equilibrium but uh, some more pulling back and some more you
0: know, finding new opportunities. Correct. Bobby, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure speaking to you. I wish you lots and lots of success in everything that you're doing now.
1: Well, thank you, Ashutosh. It was great uh, great to be on the show and I wish you also the best for the show.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to The Brand Called You, videocast and podcast. A platform that brings you knowledge, experience and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website in